You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. My name is Jeff. I am your host. This is episode three, Love God, Love Others. On today's episode, we are starting the conversation on what it should look like for Christians to engage at the world at large, especially when it involves people who practice a different religion or no religion and hold beliefs and views that we disagree with. When we help students transition out of high school, the summation Jesus gave for the law should be at the forefront of their minds, to love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. God loved the world enough to send Jesus, so as believers, we should aspire to his example by loving, serving, and encouraging those we come in contact with every day. So how does the world view Christians? Our relationships Christians have with non-Christians only valuable if they result in a conversion? Is every expression or opinion worth immediately dying on a hill for? How can we shatter the reality of a deep-trenched, unrelenting demeanor from both sides, filled with shouting and noise, by meeting people in the middle with an outstretched hand instead of a clenched fist? Are we just giving students head knowledge, but not teaching or demonstrating a model of living consistent with that of Jesus? I hope these and other questions can be addressed and expounded upon with today's guest, Josh Daniels. I've known Josh for many years. He lives with his family up in the Pacific Northwest and was the photographer at our wedding. So apparently I'm establishing a trend of interviewing people involved with my wedding day. Uh, Josh and I will be discussing examples of negative and positive interactions between Christians and non-Christians and benefits we hope our ongoing dialogue will produce in episodes to come. Let's welcome Josh. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Glad you could join me today, man. Really appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for having me. I am honored to be invited. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I, it, is, it is your pleasure, I'm sure. Um, it is absolutely my yes, pleasure. Yes. Yes. Um, so, man, uh, give us a quick overview for people who might not know who you are. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, and if someone was to give a snapshot of, of Josh in two or, or, or three minutes, what would they want to hear? I, I can't imagine that I have 180 seconds of myself to talk about, so hopefully it is shorter than that. <laughs> um, uh, uh, my name is Josh. I am currently living in uh, Seattle, Washington. It is sunny today. I am from Phoenix, Arizona originally. Spent the vast majority of my life there so far. Um, went to Arizona State, got an interdisciplinary arts degree. Um, some folks on this call may agree that that is a very good school. Um, <laughs> Uh, about 13 years ago, I did move up here to Seattle. Um, this place is home to me now. Um, we, I've started a family up here since then. Um, Allie and I have been married for, <clears throat> I think it's going to be nine years this year. Um, we've got two kiddos. We have a, a four-year-old and a 20-month-old. Um, and uh, yeah, I am currently uh, working in video games, which is pretty cool. I am the cinematics lead for a uh, big old AAA game. Um, which means I get to do a lot of really cool visual camera work 
um, and then people actually play it on their Xbox. It's really, really awesome. And uh, sometimes I can't believe that uh, that's what I get to do for a living. Um, that doesn't really leave a lot of time for extracurriculars. Um, so I think uh, the most uh, important um, hobby uh, in, that I can squeeze into my free time right now is I've recently taken up uh, running a Dungeons and Dragons game, which I think could be the topic of a future episode, Jeff. We could really get into uh, the satanic panic probably a little oh, bit. Oh, yes. But, um, yeah. Absolutely. It's really opened up a lot of um, opportunities to do creative stuff. And I've been writing a campaign for about a year and a half now. So um, that's it. That is almost literally every minute of my day accounted for right there, Jeff. <laughs> nice, man. Love it. 13 years. That makes me feel really old. Yeah, I mean, when did we go to, when did we drive out to Florida? 2007, <laughs> 2007, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right before I moved up here. Yeah, I've been in Texas now for 10 years, so. Gosh, wow. Yeah. What's Phoenix? I don't even remember yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it's just that, that hot place with Mexican food and cacti or something, you know. Um, yep, exactly. No, I, I really do miss seeing mountains in my horizon. There's none of that here, so. I definitely miss that. Um, but you get some awesome green scenery, and, and so do I. And that's something that's been alien to us as Phoenicians. <laughs> so Yeah, absolutely. And I do get mountains here, but they're all white and covered in snow. Ah, so snow. A little, a little I've, I've heard of that stuff. Uh, not really sure. Is it like a lot, a lot of natural dandruff? I'm not really sure what that is, but... That that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, you'd be happy to know I've yet to actually um, crash my car in the snow. Oh, good. So very, for very being good. a native Phoenician, I've managed to pull it off up here. Hey, man, so. that's that's a skill. That's an accomplishment. Um, well, Josh is going to be a regular guest on our podcast uh, for several reasons. First of all, uh, obviously, as you might have picked up from our banter, I've known him for a long time. Secondly, he shares much of my own background with being raised in a Christian home a large church, being a student and a leader with a large youth group. And we have a strange affinity for randomly singing and playing Creed songs during momentary lulls. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Creed. Um, also, it's, it's fair to say that Josh no longer ide- identifies with any faith. Uh, Josh, would you say all of that is accurate, especially the Creed stuff? Yeah. 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 I think that um, I think that that all that sums it up pretty good. I was just thinking about this the other day, actually. I think Creed is the only thing I can still play on my guitar. Like if I just whipped it out, like it's the one thing that I could pick up with like no tabs, no, no music or anything and still nice. play. <laughs> Allie and I were just talking about that this week. Oh, Jeez. yeah. Just like your reference to ASU, I'm sure there are many, many people who regard Creed as absolute garbage, but it holds a special... The, nostalgic place in my life so absolutely. i'll always appreciate absolutely. it <clears throat> um well on the first episode i mentioned that a large amount of students walk away from their faith after high school i think that uh that reality is related to an attitude many grounded believers have as adults which is something like people who aren't christians are against me they are my enemies I need to be able to push back on anything they claim or say that I think is sinful or anti-Christian. Um, now, there is some truth behind the latter portion of that statement. However, the first portion doesn't line up with the gospel. Uh, people being their enemies, uh, our enemies. Um, Josh, could you share some examples of your interactions with Christians that perhaps have been 
personified or highlighted with that attitude of maybe the hostility, the us versus them? What's been some of your interaction uh, in in that regard? Man, yeah, that's a that's a really interesting perspective. Um, I I I do want to answer the question. I, I kind of want to hop back to something you said just a second ago, though. That, um, like, I totally agree that uh, a lot of damage has been done by believers who, like, for lack of a less cliche word, are hypocritical um, with their interactions with others, especially with non-believers. Um, I don't know that I necessarily subscribe to the notion that those actions are what eventually like would cause someone to leave the face, the faith. Um, but I think it serves as, um, like a, a, a chink in the armor almost, uh, of the argument that like Christianity is this big transformative life-changing belief that you would, um, that you'd like make this argument that I should subscribe to. Um, because, there are tons of folks I know, believers and non-believers, who are very great, very kind, very generous. Um, and so if I have to follow a belief system to be incentivized to do that on one side, or I can just choose to do it on the other, um, when when I'm dealing with the kind of things that you're talking about, these examples here, um, I think that while that I don't think that's the final push that necessarily ever gets anyone out of any faith, um, I, do, I do think it gives them a lot of permission to start examining um like what is the transformative nature of christianity and why am i dealing with kind of like the same type of stuff i would expect from just kind of any person uh in society with this kind of treatment um because at that point it says to me like well you're not really concerned enough with our relationship to shield me from the experience um but i'm the one who's left with kind of like the trauma of these kind of relationships and the uh, and these encounters um because you can kind of lean on grace as a way to kind of like mitigate your own guilt about it. Um, and so that was a really long ranty way to say that, yes, it does happen, Jeff. And, uh, and I would like to actually answer your question now. <laughs> and um, uh, I think one of the interesting things is that we're kind of at a point in society where like the majority of this kind of treatment um, is happening like uh, in a really disconnected way. Right. So like whether it's like politically or socially or from behind like a keyboard or Twitter, um, I don't personally tend to have any of these kind of like in-person interactions in my day to day. And I honestly haven't since like I left the church um, and moving away from Phoenix. Uh, I just don't tend to have these kind of like these exchanges or these conversations um, or, or have anyone uh, treat me in a way and then overtly say like, they co-sign it with their beliefs as a reason why they're doing it. Um, you just see it kind of on a macro scale a little bit more often. Um, but when you mentioned that, I did have a little bit of this uh, this quick flash to a few things that uh, that I remember from actually when I was younger. Like one of them was back when I was still involved with the ministry, um, where it was kind of like this these innocuous interactions. But to me, they're not really like aligning with this message of like inclusivity. Um, or kindness towards other, uh, and does compromise that relationship. So um, uh, I think you may have been here for this first one. Um, I remember the day after I got my first tattoo. Um, I was 18, so you would have been a kid 
still probably probably one of the people i'm about to describe actually i actually still um, am a kid w- but you know i just have some great yes. hair now so i'm a, i'm a great haired kid you know yeah <laughs> they um gosh so i was 18 um i was doing volunteering with the junior high uh at the time because i was right out of high school and i it was a sunday night and like the head pastor of the church that we went to together, like this big old church, um, was actually speaking to the kids that night, doing like a Q&A thing with the youth group. And that was pretty rare uh, and a pretty cool opportunity. It happened like quarterly or semi-annually. Uh, and because of how cool of an experience that was, it made it particularly awful when out of the blue, kind of in response to a different question, he randomly quotes Leviticus and says to this whole group, like, if you follow God's law, you will never get tattooed because that is an abomination. Um, and like, I, I vividly remember this feeling as like a dozen seventh and eighth graders, like whip around and are staring at me because Mm. they had just that morning seen it as I was like, isn't this cool? And you probably remember this, but the best part about like dealing with kind of that, like that conflict was that, um, like what my tattoo was, right. It was, it was this Hebrew armband that said Joshua child of the most high God, which isn't exactly like this heathenistic branding yeah you know so um for me that that really um and and there there are a ton more of these like little tiny encounters like that but i look at this thing is where you're like positioning yourself diametrically across um an aisle or across a battlefield from another person and with like a complete absolute uh definition you know you throw the word abomination around in christian circles and you're really saying something that's not that's not like casual language, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I still have that tattoo. Like I've covered up my other churchy tattoos and I still have that tattoo. And and I'm trying to figure out how that one's like hung on so long. And sometimes I think like, like you know, it's kind of a reminder of like how easy it is to alienate people. Um, even, even if, you know, they're not really quite as different as you are. Um, yeah man yeah thank you for sharing that uh uh really quick i want to go back to uh the first point that that you made and yeah i I agree there are many reasons why people uh, aren't believers i think for me when i was spelling that out and a lot of what i see especially today in our polarized culture of um either for me or you're against me um no one really in in the middle ground people on the extremes i try and think of what drives students and what their um what their mindset is in leaving high school, going to college and a career. And then as I get older, and I think that link is fear. And so uh, with teenagers, college students and adults, if, if teenagers who leave, who have been raised in the church, have this perspective of, you know, okay, I've been raised in the church. I should know all the right answers. And then they meet people in school and in college um, who have different, perspectives, different life stories, and probably can argue better than than they can. It makes them realize that maybe they haven't dug deep enough in their faith to, in some parts, really own it. And they just know what their faith is, and some of their answers or explanations to some of the reasons that they have faith is probably just, well, it's the right answer. (laughs) You know, they they haven't really thought about it. And so... Um, with those who are fearful, maybe, um, of diving into 
their faith and being okay with doubt, I think um, even for people who aren't in that life stage of graduating and going on, I think anyone now, uh, if they're in that stage of doubt, they run to the opposite end and they try and relieve their fears by um, shouting and championing um, what the right message is in, in, in their view. And anyone who, who's against that is against their view or their opinions, or in this case, against Christianity. And I think what that does, it, it, it usually, uh, unfortunately, it can, go, it, it, it can go two ways. It doesn't always do this, but a lot more than people realize, I think, it goes two ways. One, those students really don't have the bandwidth or the past experience to go deeper in their faith, and so they kind of fall away from it because they realize, well, I don't really know about it, and I guess what my friends are saying is true. I'm not sure if I believe this. Uh, maybe it is just an opiate for the masses. Um, and then other students might say, well, uh, I'm not really sure, but I'm not going to talk to you. And they actively do not pursue any friendships or relationships with people who, who aren't Christians. And so they grow up uh, still being affirmed in in their faith without really diving into their faith, if, if that makes sense. And so I think what, um, what we're seeing now on not only the religious scale, but the political scale, social, cultural scale is this polarization um, that's only gotten worse lately. And I think for Christians, um, I think I've seen that just as much. And so that's just one attribute I, I think that links a teenager to an adult who, who, who might feel that way is fear and uncertainty and maybe an unwillingness to actually have dialogue with people who have different opinions or life stories than, than they do. And learning, as you've said, that, you know, there's a lot that actually unites us. And as believers, we should know that because as, as believers, we believe that everyone who's ever lived has been made in the image of God, and there's a lot that um, does uh, bring us uh, just closer and 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 being all together as a group because we are all human and we share a lot of common experiences. Um, so yeah, I, I think maybe Christians tend to run from that a little bit if they don't have a good perspective and good approach of how to engage everyone lovingly and you know as a human first not as either you're a possible convert or you're or you're my enemy you know it shouldn't be so black and yeah, white yeah. that's an unfortunate perspective to have um yeah yeah i think that's a actually that's a really good point and i think that there's um um i think that the church could do a better job of preparing people for, like kids for that moment right because it's like I think back to like all the times that we had services about like like the satanic imagery of Halloween, right? Or like why you don't wear an onk, or like these kind of really weird things that we spent some time really diving into and 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 burning these like thematic studying things. But then somehow when I got to college and I took a world religion course, I found out more about the history of Christianity, the religion, like post biblical times and kind of how we ended up with a lot of the traditions and a lot of the, the reasons we do things now, mm -hmm. um, way more just from a semester of school than I ever did from 20 years in the church. Right. And so 
you end up doing this thing where you're preparing kids in a lot of ways for the important part of understanding their faith, like the faith part of their faith. But if they go out into the world and they find out a lot of truth about the religion itself, that it almost feels like you were hiding from them Mm -hmm. because like how in the world was I never told any of this stuff? How did I learn about Constantine for the first time when I was 19? You know what I mean? Like, like, how was the Council of Nicaea finally told to me when I was in college and no one ever brought up like how the Bible was put together in modern form, mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff, it feels dishonest. And so the fear part is like, there's this natural overcorrection kind of with what you're saying, as far as like saying really strongly, like either I'm going to shout from the rooftops that everyone's wrong and I'm right, or I'm just going to kind of like, kind of like give into my fear that I don't know everything and kind of like, um, uh, almost like shrink into the shadows uh, and, and that just like educating them um, in ways that are more than just spiritual about what they believe, I think is super valuable to at least giving them the confidence to go off and like be their own adult. And if they do stay in the faith and that is what they want to practice, at least they're not going in constantly like bam- feeling bamboozled and then wondering why people would have been doing the bamboozling, you know? So um, we're, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Love there it, we go, man. Jeff. Love it. Well, let's uh, let's shift to the opposite side of the spectrum uh, for a little bit. Um, you know, people have obviously suffered from God's wrath. We see it in Scripture. Uh, you know, everyone in the world except for Noah and his family. We have Sodom and Gomorrah, Aaron's sons, uh, uh, Uzzah for touching the ark and trying to keep it from hitting the ground, and God strikes him dead for touching the ark. Uh, but yeah, and we see all those examples and yet with a full theological historical approach to it we realize that god's wrath actually isn't against people it's against sin because god loved us enough to send jesus he didn't send jesus in spite of us our condition sure but us you know as i mentioned we're made in the image of god we're worth the price of god's son on the cross to reconcile us to himself now and forever and if we love because god first loved us, as it says in First John, our aim should be to love as God loves, which is without reservation. So Josh, uh, where are some more positive examples maybe uh, since you've been in, in Seattle, um, uh, where you've seen some good examples of Christians engaging with non-Christians, uh, maybe people who don't um, personify that polarized outlook that we just talked about? Yeah, I think that we would probably uh, be remiss if we didn't, if we weren't, um, you know, hyper aware of the conditions that we're recording this call in right now, right? Absolutely, and that, man. You know, if if we ignore like the mega churches and the celebrity pastors and all that kind of stuff, that like in our current situation, it's really encouraging to see faith communities like joining the efforts to help those in need um, while we're dealing with the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so, you know, doing doing the kind of stuff like grocery runs for at risk folk or um, offering financial assistance to people that are out of work and struggling. Like you can really see the value of a faith based community getting together, um, working towards a common goal alongside like nonprofits, businesses, individuals, um, all these other groups um, to where, you know, these are the times that you you see that. uh, This. it's motivated by charity, right? And it's motivated by kindness. Um, and, and I think that, um, I'm, I'm pretty hesitant to like 
celebrate anyone in those categories for just doing the right thing um that's something that i i try not to get too over my head up that i am really moved um especially of uh, examples of folks from smaller churches like ones where pastors aren't multi-millionaires or even paid at all sometimes um still finding ways to give back to the community you know um it's really easy for even for me to get really short-sighted with it and look at these pastors that are still like calling their congregations to church on Easter, um, knowing full well that it's a, it's a financial decision and that if they could get, you know, 2,500 people in to tithe that weekend or to, to make sure that the cash flow keeps coming for them, they can still continue to live their lifestyle the way they would versus the other churches like yours that are, that are really like dealing with this the best way you possibly can and making the concessions you have to make to keep your group of people safe. Um, no matter how hard that makes things for you guys, you know? And so, um, uh, it's, that kind of stuff goes a really long way to build goodwill. I think, um, when you see so much like snake oil salesmen, um, in the, in like the louder, uh, more, more visible members of the church, um, to whatever extent that's actually true, I guess at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's certainly true, um, with the Christian community as well, that the squeaky wheel gets the oil and gets the attention. And when you have, uh, someone, uh, praying through their TV and reaching out and saying that there, there will be a vaccine made available now. And, um, you know, all this kind of stuff with the health and wealth prosperity preachers, it's really disheartening to see that. And, um, you know, um, Rick, Rick Warren, uh, was on recently. I actually mentioned this in my last episode as well, but it stands out to me because, um, so often when you see pastors being interviewed by news agencies, recently anyway, um, it's very politicized, very one-sided. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Rick Warren, a prominent pastor in California, he was on with Anderson Cooper um, and someone else uh, from CNN. And they said, Pastor, where is God at work um, right right now and the age-old question of of why would God allow something like like this to happen and Rick answered in a way um, that reminded me of how Jesus acted he said um, you know if you see Josh what what you just mentioned you know uh, people reaching out to those who can't help themselves grocery runs and yard work for for the elderly um, financial help um, job help, all these things, that's where God is. That's where the church is, you know, and you can see that. And, um, yeah, there are, there's a lot of room for good discussion and, and, and hard questions about why would God allow suffering. But I think in the practical day to day, um, we can't miss what the church is doing. And, um, you know, certainly I'm aware being an, an employee of a church that churches make mistakes and sometimes people in churches make mistakes and usually it's the entire church or even the entire religion that uh, is held account for it and you know people are imperfect and that's bound to happen but also I think it's good to realize that um, we recognize that we are fallen and we try to aspire to the example that Jesus set for us and that's what I go back to you know loving without reservation. It shouldn't matter who someone else is, what their belief is, what their background is. If they're breathing and alive, they uh, deserve our love and attention just as Jesus would have given it to them, whether they were a certain way or not. 
Um, so yeah, that, that's what yeah, I focus on. I think at the at the risk of sounding sacrilegious, I think uh, a similar quote to go up against uh, Pastor Warren's would be by the uh, late Fred Rogers, and to look for the helpers. <laughs> yeah, uh, as well. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did have one other example, and I, I don't know necessarily um, think that you meant quite for this to sound like a fishing expedition, um, but I've got to say that uh, for me personally, like our friendship is really quite literally like the one uh, keystone I have in my daily life, either at a personal level or a global level where I really have much um, any kind of like perpetual hope uh, for Christianity or faith-based organizations as a whole. Um, uh, like we're living in this weird world now where the same folks when I was a teenager were shaming me for having sex before marriage. Those same people now are enthusiastically and like rabidly supporting the most like godless and unchristian candidate that's like ever run for office. Um, and, and, and I look at these people just shouting it from the rooftops and hopping into my Facebook comments to argue with me. And, and in that weird world, uh, it's been very refreshing and it's been a very hopeful conversation every time you and I have like sat down to share perspectives, um, either really casually or any of our kind of more longer conversations. Um, and I, I know you don't necessarily mean for this to be some big self-congratulatory thing, but I think that if I was to call out like what a Christ-like example of these, uh, exchanges are, um, it's, it's in that, like, you've been able to like sensitively ask me pretty personal questions about like my beliefs, um, we've had a lot of political discussions. We've talked about our families. We've done all, like we've done some heavy lifting in the middle of our fun, I think. And you've done all that with like this grace and kindness of someone that I believe genuinely respects me um, and loves me for who I am. Not that you're like playing the long game to try to convert me. And maybe you are, but uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't come off that way. And I don't think having been someone who was actively doing trying to do that, like Christians should probably know that that's not, they're not really as sneaky as they think they are when they're doing this like relationship uh, witnessing, you know, like it's pretty easy, especially as we get into our adult life to see when there is a priority around you, like getting so, like the first time my wife interacted with someone at a play area, the woman was like, Oh, uh, do you go to a church around here? It was like immediately like right to it. Right. Uh, with one of the parents. And so um, it's nice to be able to continue our friendship that we've had all these years later, even though so much has changed. And for me to genuinely see that, like, being people that care about each other is more important than which club we're in, you know? Yeah. Well, man, I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you. I, you know, I, uh, I, I definitely screw up a lot. And uh, there are several relationships where I wish things would have gone differently. But I, I, I uh, learned from that. And, yeah, man, I'm, I'm really grateful and, and thankful for that perspective. And, you know, I really appreciate your friendship as well. And, certainly very grateful that you've agreed to come on this podcast with me and um yeah you know i i hope that that our our relationship um can bring a uh can be beneficial to those listening and so that uh sort of takes us into our uh last topic um you know, uh, some of the results that I hope stem from our interaction are for students to realize that establishing a relationship with someone shouldn't solely be based on the other person's faith, just just like you said, uh, and that their leaders, the youth leaders, would emphasize relational rapport and trust as the best foundation 
for spiritual conversation. You and I have been able to have that because you realize that with every conversation, I'm not trying to get you to say, okay, now, you know, like I'm not waiting to flip the <laughs> conversion switch and sure. add, a, add a mark on my belt. Um, you know, in, in, in other words, if a student wants to share their faith or talk about spiritual things, I think sharing it with someone that they already have an established relationship with who trusts them isn't talked about uh, as an option as much as it should be. You know, at, at that point, their friend is able to have a more genuine discussion and engagement with them because they aren't and don't feel like they are just a target for conversion. And I also hope this inspires other Christians to engage civilly with people who might believe different things on issues that they may or may not think about the same. Um, man, what are you hoping for with our continued interaction on this podcast? Yeah, man, I, I think like one of the things that uh, that concerns me is that like there's this need to encourage uh, Christians to be civil with non-Christians. Mm. Yeah. Right. And that that like. Like, I, I don't I, I agree with that sentiment, like I genuinely believe I, I, I remember even having those conversations in the church about how to do just that. And I, I can't now at this point in my life put my finger on why that is so hard like i have people in my life that i actively have to work to be civil towards but all of those people have done things to earn that struggle right like they like mm -hmm. like it's not because they're part of a group or not because of their they don't share my beliefs or my ethnicity or like my love for the seahawks or something like that it's like legitimately something they've done um that has put us in a situation where like i have to force myself to continue civility with them and so I guess like my concern is that when we're having a conversation about how we can encourage people to be civil, it's like, why is the predisposition predisp to not be? Yeah. Yeah. I think it goes back to uh, that thing I mentioned at the beginning, uh, fear, you know, it's, it's, it's a perspective of, you know, something that um, I had in the large church that we had growing up. And I think it's not so much to the, to the, the same degree, but, you know, there's this bubble, there's this, you know, going out into the world, and yeah, sure, Christians believe that all of creation is fallen, and that people who aren't, who aren't believers are going to have different opinions, but, um, you know, there isn't a line of people su surrounding the church parking lot where as soon as you leave, they're going to jab you with a pitchfork or throw a Satan doll sure, in, in sure. your car or something, um, sure. you know, and... Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah. and it's interesting, though, because, like, I think that, like, there's so many reasons that that happens, though, because it, even the language of scripture and teachings, pr like, promotes that mentality, right? Like, you have to defend your faith. You have to be in the world, not of the world. Like, it's, like, constantly saying, like, hey, Christians, you need to be aware that there is this constant onslaught of people trying to, like, deconvert you or eradicate your existence or something like that, you know, and, and, and that there, there is some onus on you, the person delivering that message to make sure not to amplify um, that kind of thinking. But I think that some of it's in there too, right? It, it is a very like, um, it, it does feel like it's, it's a very separatist um, kind of, kind of messaging there. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, i I, I go back to if it's not us versus them, I think us versus them is a very dangerous perspective to have. It's certainly the mainline perspective and uh, 
definition of our culture right now, but as, as, as Christians, um, we should be very aware, as made through Scripture, that the enemy is not other human beings. The enemy is Satan. It's a spiritual enemy, and there are forces beyond our physical perception that are at work. Um, I have stories from friends, professors, and missionaries that shake me to, to, to my core about uh, what's going on out there. I have a really close friend who is part of an exorcism over in Asia. Um, just very, very um, powerful stuff. And uh, if we believe that all of us, I mean, Paul said in Ephesians that all of us are children of wrath. You know, we have a nature that uh, we, we want to drive towards sin and selfishness. And so if we think people are the enemy, then the reason that we think they're the enemy are the same reasons that we're trying to repent and deal with ourselves. All of us have the same problem as far as the perspective of a, of a Christian. We all have a need for a Savior, and if we're to love others, to one, love them because they're made in the image of God, and two, as Christians, if we, if we, we want to share our faith and share the hope in Christ that we have, it can't be at sword point or gunpoint, like, hey, make sure and convert or else you're my enemy. That's not at all how Jesus interacted with people. Now, he shared the truth and shared it harshly, but ironically enough, the people who he seemed to be the most harsh with were religious leaders. And so, um, sure. if we need, if, if, if Christians are to learn how to own their faith, to be okay with asking harder questions, diving into doubt, and leaning more on their faith and not on their own, on their own understanding, they also need to realize that it's not us versus them, that the entire world um, was lo- loved enough by God to send Jesus. And so we should engage with our fellow human beings, uh, people in our family, our friends who, who aren't believers, and we should love them for who they are because they reflect the glory of God. And, of course, Christians would love to see their friends and family come to know Jesus for salvation. But if that's the only reason for engaging with anyone, that falls very, very short of what God intended for us and how he designed us as relational beings with the example of Christ to go and love others well. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I, like, it's a, it's a big battle. Like it's a, the combat that you have to deal with is with like messaging on a higher level, right? Because when you're getting stuff like, you know, we're at a point now where where a good chunk of Christianity has decided to align with a political party. And then you have, what's that pastor in your in your area? It's like Jeffries or Jeffress or something like uh, that. No comment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, well then that makes this track a little bit better for me. But yeah, I, like he had gone on Fox News or something and he was like, you know, Democrats are a godless party, right? And so regardless of, faith like we're sitting here now and we're starting to take a chunk of americans and say that anyone who subscribes to another club that is not my club they're just godless and so like you might as well just call them an abomination at that point right and then that messaging like this guy still is he still in the sbc yeah 
his church. Yeah. So like how far down does this kind of messaging trickle down? Right. So like, like you're fighting this battle at this, at, at your level. Uh, and then for any progress you can make with a personal relationship with someone, you have like, again, the squeakiest wheel sitting up here and saying like anyone who doesn't align with my belief stru structure, whether it's religious or political or social or whatever, like they are literally godless and we know how we feel about godless people. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's super dangerous. It's, it's very like old Testament, you know, God commanding everyone to go kill all of the children and women of enemies, uh, of their enemy cities or whatever yeah. after battles and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And, and, and that kind of messaging is, um, that's the kind of stuff when I think about this conversation that we're having where it's like, yeah, you and I can do this on a personal level. But when I walk outside of my house, I know that there's an entire demographic of Americans who feel this way. Right. And, and maybe it's easier to feel this way or maybe that maybe they don't have as much insight as to why they shouldn't listen to people like this guy as, as you or, or people who are more plugged into it. But, you know, we on the other side over here are getting painted with these broad brushstrokes, but we're not the ones who are like actively trying to legislate against your belief system. Right. Like we don't agree on the same topics, but I'm not trying to get churches outlawed or taxed or, you know, tell you you have to practice on a different day or you can only practice with certain people and stuff like that. Like it is Christians who are actually more involved in trying to legislate their beliefs onto other people. So I think that that's the issue is like on a huge level, and especially as soon as these kids walk out from under like your care, how are they going out into the world? What are they equipped with? And how are they going to be able to have those interactions? Um, when you have these people screaming, you know, it is us versus them. It is, that is the case. Right. And um, I think, I think that as you and I talk further that like, I assume we're going to cover a lot of things, however long this goes on for. Um, but, but the main thing I want to get out of it is, yeah, your point that like, like you and I believe different things, like, and it's not that we believe different things. It's that the, it's the way that those beliefs are manifesting into our actions towards each other that defines who we are. So like you believing in God doesn't affect me or my family in any way that puts us in conflict. I, I, I'm not concerned about that until you start acting on that belief in a way that actually does, right? So if it's voting for policies that harm people for not sharing your beliefs or restricting their rights or just being kind of a jerk and judgmental and condescending or making me a mission or a charity case because you feel like I'm like a lesser that needs to be saved, like those kind of things um, diminish your relationship with another person and work against our ability to just be people that show kindness to each other. Um, and I really think that if Christians can get rid of this notion that they're the victims and that people are out to get them, they can just see the rest of us as people and not like people that you have to work towards being civil or kind towards, but just people that deserve that same respect, that deserve that same thoughtfulness that they themselves think they do. And then to take that one step further, um, because I do want to try to make this relevant to your podcast is that, Removing this mindset, I think, is more crucial for those that actually are doing the work in youth ministry. Because if they're carrying any of this bias or they're carrying any of this like institutionalized tribalism, and then they're pushing them on kids and teenagers that are in the middle of this like very serious developmental phase in their life, you're sending them out in the world with these like lifelong implications where you're building up little troops that are ready to fight, not people that are going out to actually love, you know? And so I think like figuring out a way for youth workers to check those biases too, and to be less tribal about that, I think is going to go a long way. So I think it's my hope that like, I can prove that non-Christians are decent folks that deserve to be treated with kindness and not 
some like hateful enemy that you really have to like struggle to be civil with yeah yeah i appreciate that man and uh you know uh just to clarify you know uh for for those uh who might be listening and thinking well uh you know jeff doesn't see evangelism as a priority or he's thinking it doesn't matter if he shares the gospel that's not all true first of all the gospel is much bigger than be saved or don't be saved. Um, it's about who God is. It's about how we live. It's about how we present who Jesus Christ is and how our lives have been transformed by him. Um, it's not up to me personally uh, if someone comes to know the Lord. You know, uh, Scripture says that the Father draws people to himself. Now, is it up to me to be a great example and to live up the example that, that Christ showed? Yeah, but um, I don't get... Uh, it's not personally up to me. It's not 100% in my power if someone does or doesn't uh, make a decision or or do something, you know. And if I were to talk to Josh or any other uh, non-believer about, you know, man, I think it'd be great if you accepted Christ or followed Christ and they don't do it. It doesn't mean, okay, I'm done with you, end of friendship, you know. And 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 certainly to not do it in a in a militant way. Um, but really to, you know, hey, because I love you, I want to share this. That's not um, being wrong. And if the relationship uh, lives and dies with that one question, then how deep of a relationship is it? And probably a bigger question for the church, if you refuse or if we refuse to not make friendships and have relationships with people who aren't believers, but we believe that they need the Lord and we leave people high and dry because they, they don't agree with us, who's left to engage with them? Uh, we we want to be able to show the, the love of Christ and show that Christians aren't just uh, make this decision and you're, and you're in our club. Uh, I love Josh using the examples of clubs. Um, you know, like <laughs> being able to say, hey, this is what I believe. And I think that you and anyone else would, would, would benefit from this. But if you don't believe it, we have a relationship and I love you for who you are and I want to help you out and I want to continue our relationship. And I hope that that would be a good example for anyone listening to this to take away from it. Uh, man, do you, do you have any uh, closing thoughts for us? Yeah, actually, I like I, I really like what you said. And I think that that not have like don't develop these friendships with the mo with any motive right like 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 i i would hope that your best friendships are not friendships because there is one specific thing that you plan on getting out of that yeah, person yeah right um being to me you deciding to be my friend because you have an end game where you want to witness to me and save me and all that kind of stuff to me is like being friends with a girl because I eventually hope I can hook up with her, right? Like I'm not actually friends with her. I have like one serious objective that I'm trying to get to. Um, and, and so that whole relationship is built on this like one conditional situation. And so I think like back to the point about why I really value your friendship is that, that, um, our interactions don't ever to me point back to like, okay, but I'm also waiting on you to give me this answer. Right. Or that our friendship will be complete when you achieve this one thing. Like it's an ongoing growing relationship where we are just there for each other and we care about each other and we share ideas and challenge each other and support each other when we need to. And you can do that with anyone. Christians can do that with non-Christians because if your belief is that 
what that like God will prepare that person uh, to be ready uh, at a point. You don't need to be actively onslaughting them with <laughs> and just barraging them uh, with this kind of pressure. Like if you're there for honest, uh, t- to quote my favorite uh, film franchise or TV franchise, uh, The Bachelor, if you're there for the right reasons, um, I think that you'll find that the, whole, the relationship as a whole will be better um, across the board. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, I look forward to having you back as we talk about different things and in, in culture uh, from different perspectives. And you have to make sure and bring your guitar so the world can hear my mediocre Scott Stapp impression. <laughs> Wait, what was that? Oh, man. Sorry, were you saying something? Oh, I am not ready. I am not ready for this. Next time. Oh, next time, dude. I gotta get my drum set or, or my or my djembe and and jam it out. That's awesome. Oh yes. Can you take me higher, Josh? Hope this clears Can copyright. You yes. I love it. Well, man, thank you so much, and uh, look forward to having you back in the future. And um, yeah, blessings to you and your family during this time of COVID nineteen, and hopefully the quarantine and everything won't last that much longer. Um, but yeah, man, thanks again and, uh, look forward to having you back. Absolutely, man. Be well. That concludes today's podcast episode. Thanks again to Josh for joining me. If you have not already, please like and subscribe to this podcast on Podbean or Spotify. Thank you again for listening Uh, We hope that you can share this podcast with people who might benefit from it. And I'm enjoying the dialogue. If you have questions or issues that you would like to have covered on this podcast, please reach out and let me know. But until the next episode, adios.